Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Gola Jr. That is me, with me as always. Man who cares enough to change up his outfits and enough to let me comment on them like Stephen A. Smith on first take every day. Brandon Newman. Brandon, what's going on? Thank you, Mike. This is a collar. Find a new angle. Um, if anybody this is very dear deep <laughs> online. But Mike is making a comment because he is wearing the exact same hoodie that he wore during yesterday's episode. I just hate that podcasting has gotten to this point now where that could in theory matter where someone watching us on YouTube multiple days in a row could look and see that and wonder was this all taped on the same day which it wasn't but no I just wasn't going to swap out outerwear because that's just one more thing I've got to do in the laundry for a sweatshirt that I didn't really dirty up yesterday it's a white one so you'd be able to tell Mike uh, shouts out to our alma mater Notre Dame and also especially in Los Angeles outerwear is outerwear it's like if you wear the same coat every day yeah you're going to be wearing the same coat every day how does that differ in LA anywhere else you literally just said if you wear the same coat every day you're going to wear the same coat every day (laughs) I'm saying I'm saying in LA a hoodie is your coat so it's like you know I mean like you can't get criticized for for like oh is that the same Canada goose like yes I, I own oh, one you're, of these. You're saying that this is the stock outerwear as opposed yes. to the next level up, which I would disagree with because out here people wear winter coats when it's 40 degrees. There are people wearing their bubbles. Canada goose and yeah. the bubbles down walking yeah. by the water. That's neither here nor there, Brandon. We got a great show nope. for everybody today. As always, <laughs> make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating uh, and a review. And check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel under the Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. tab once you subscribe there where you can see that I'm wearing the same Notre Dame hoodie from yesterday. Cool one today here. Get to check back in. First time in a while, Jared Carabas, co-host of the Baseball is Dead podcast, the Jared Carabas yes. podcast. Going to stop by the Tribal Chief 
of baseball. Help us break down a little World Baseball Classic as Team USA gets set to go off in this championship coming up uh, as you're listening to the podcast Tuesday night. But Brandon, I'm sure you've seen Jared beefing with his old co-workers uh, over a bar stool, him and KFC going at it over the World Baseball Classic after the Edwin Diaz injury to the uh, Mets. As someone who used to work over there, Mike, it was like uh, being back at work, just seeing discourse handled over Twitter and uh, two strong opinions until one person eventually concedes, which was KFC from Barstow, who agreed that the, the World Baseball Classic is pretty effing cool. Yeah, Jared really, and we talk about this a bunch with him has so much support from the product. It's been sensational, and he's got a bunch of numbers and different reasons to back up just how we can measure how successful it's been in addition to just what we've seen with our own two eyes. So uh, very fun conversation there. Lots of good stuff to talk about as we head into baseball season with Jared. Um, We'll also update our uh, Some Shining Moments March Madness brackets and look at a little bit of mess Going on down in Alabama, Nick Saban out here stirring some shit, and it is lovely. Uh, But Brandon, speaking of stirring shit, there's nothing I love more than poking you about your Los Angeles Lakers, but you actually are getting the last laugh right now as the NBA is getting set to first welcome back John Morant, which we'll get to this week, likely coming up tomorrow on Wednesday. But LeBron James also, it sounds like, according to Darvin Ham is expected to return again this season. They are getting ready coming up on three weeks since LeBron suffered that foot injury, and they believe, uh, according to Darvin Ham, they anticipate him coming back at some point this season. So considering they're sitting in ninth place now, Brandon, you have to feel pretty good. You're the one that said on this podcast, it's going to give other guys in this team a chance to potentially step up. And in that time period, I think Los Angeles, since LeBron went down, has had five different players in the last 10 games score 24 or more points, including Austin Reeves, who went the hell off the other night and got a bunch of love from LeBron James and everybody else. So congratulations to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you so much. Shout out to Austin Reeves. Uh, Obviously, when we got rid of uh, Caruso, I was like, where's the LA's white king? Like, we need one of those (laughs) to win a championship. And he's here. He's here. They drafted him. Um, but, no, I, I am very, very excited, Mike. With 14 games left in the season, including, well, I guess 13 games left in the season after tonight's game against the Pelicans Tuesday night, I am happy where where the Lakers are. They're a playoff team via the play-in game, just like they were last season. And probably they'll always be as long as LeBron James is aging rapidly uh, via every injury. I feel like, you know, it's it's dog years. You know, it's a little bit more uh, for every injury for LeBron James. And then AD coming off of injury and playing great. I think in the last 10 games, he's averaging 26 points, 13 rebounds, two blocks. Uh, it's just, it's good to see the rest. Uh, D'Angelo Russell's is, is pro- proving he still has ice in his veins like he did when he played for Ohio State and Louisville, Kentucky before that. Shouts out to him. Um, but I think... LeBron James being out and these games being critical made it so these other players had to figure out their identity on the basketball court, and they're making it happen. It's great. I just wonder if it helps them once he comes back because figuring out your identity with LeBron James off the court – 
I, I guess that does you some good when you've got to inevitably sit LeBron James down, but we know he does change the gravity when he's out there, and the offense isn't going to look anywhere close to the same. So it's always a concern, but you get absolutely the victory on that. I do also appreciate that you are the crossfitter of anything Louisville, Kentucky-related, where I don't have to worry or ask about if this person is from or connected to Louisville, Kentucky. You will volunteer that like a vegan, baby. Like a vegan, like a CrossFitter, it's so true. It's a little different for me, Mike. And since you you brought it up, D'Angelo Russell's uncle, his mother's brother, was my barber in Louisville. Not that we all live in one town, but like I remember when he went off to to Florida to play high school football or basketball because you know he could he was he seen all the competition there had to be in Louisville. So yes, yes, I am pulling from everyone from the five hundred two. You know, what? it's got to be nice to actually have a lot of you know well accredited people who make it out of louisville and are connected back there maybe part of this is just jealousy from the fact that there's not a lot of true ballers coming out of connecticut you said your school is a basketball school and i believe you mike this is just me just trying to attach my teat uh as someone who was born in orange county california to all the people from louisville uh making it homegrown shout out jack harlow shout out estg Yeah, I mean the most the most I get at this point was just asked about Aaron Hernandez in Bristol Central when that whole thing went down. <laughs> that re- it's 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 like for some reason wherever I'm from or around, the only stuff I end up getting asked about going to Notre Dame, all I get asked about is Manti Teo and yes. go, being from Connecticut, all I got asked about was Aaron Hernandez. And it's not to say that the two things are similar in their nature, but more in the fact that they are these wild sensational stories. One certainly of tragedy and awful things and the other of strange circumstances. But you get what I'm saying here. It's just really weird, the plot points that follow me around. I hate to break it to you, Mike, but you got takes. Takes? Yeah, you got takes. People people are seeking you out for your takes. Oh, no, and but these I guess... Are, these, are, these are takes that are close close to your vicinity i guess i'm just saying i wish the takes i was associated with were for different things like the success of great people like oh what else was this like or what was this other star athlete hailing from central connecticut like and instead we've got that so the lakers are going to wait and see what that happens they went six and five without lebron that was treading water enough in a very chaotic Western Conference to have themselves within the play-in conversation. I think as the recording of this podcast, they are currently the 10 seed. They're tied with Utah, 13 games back of Denver in first place, the last I've checked. But we have to give credit to the rest of the Western Conference. The way the Suns have imploded in a weird way, the way the Grizzlies are doing whatever, the the way the Nuggets... They didn't implode. Kevin Durant's ankle imploded in the pregame of a basketball game. That's what happened to the Suns. (laughs) Everything was sweet out there for a minute, for like a very short minute until it wasn't. You didn't let me finish. The Warriors, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll get to them eventually, Mike, but if it wasn't for the West like playing down to their potential... The Lakers would have been out of it. They would. And you know what? That's a, a no more, I think, greater symbol of how difficult the West has been to get their arms around than the situation with the Memphis Grizzlies. So the other return to play is likely going to be Wednesday. We mentioned John Morant, uh, and the Grizzlies are hopeful that he is going to return to play for them coming up tomorrow. He was eligible to return after that suspension from the NBA Monday night in their game, but because they wanted him to ramp back up to play, get time to get himself back into game shape. They didn't want to push that one on that. It also does help to have a nice soft landing spot like the Houston Rockets to be the first game back against. But Mm. 
Brandon, that obviously comes with its own set of concerns, like we've talked about. Wondering how good an idea this is for John Morant to be coming back if dealing with stress is truly the problem that he has been going through. Going back into an environment where, yeah, you're second place in the Western Conference right now, getting ready to make a playoff push. Things are going to be expected of you in this team. You're going right back into the most stressful time of year. I wonder how good that's going to be for a guy that's trying to make better decisions coming off of what's happened, certainly over the last year, but that came to a head in the last two weeks. So that's a conversation we're going to get to keep having. The one I was actually interested in today, because it's coming off a weekend where we saw the Golden State Warriors and the Memphis Grizzlies back at it again. Mm. Golden State won the first two games of the season. Memphis won two in the last nine days without John Morant to split the season-long series. And we had the same old beef popping up between Dylan Brooks and the world. And it culminated with the scene we saw at the end of the game where Dylan Brooks is chirping Clay Thompson over on the bench and Clay pops up and hits him with the one, two, three, four ring count from over on the other side of the bench. We've seen Draymond read him the riot act on his podcast. And it just got me to thinking, Brandon, and I wondered if you feel the same way because Dylan Brooks represents what Memphis was sort of turning into, right? This young bully team that we thought was going to push Golden State last year, push some of the old guard. They were young, brash. They don't give a shit. They talk shit to everybody. And they've been talented enough to back it up. We said they're second place in the Western Conference, and they've been treading water for the last two weeks without John Morant and actually doing very well. But has it felt not as fun as it should be to you to have this Memphis Grizzlies team occupying this role and maybe even more specifically this rivalry because as I've sat here and started thinking about all this it hasn't been nearly as fun as I've expected and I'm trying to figure out why yeah I feel like I'll say this probably the Warriors not being at full strength you know Andrew Wiggins not there and and whatever you know Steph Curry they've had injury problems as well Uh, so that rivalry hasn't been as as rich, but yeah, the, the Grizzlies, they're like a, they're like an annoying little brother. But now in this sitcom, the annoying little brother is doing some stuff at school that is like the 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 older brother's like, hey, you need to clean up your act. Like you can't be, like, <laughs> I, mom and dad can't be talking to you about this these issues. I I think that's probably what it is. Right is. This situation with John Morant has put everything in a different light. And this included the stories going back of what happened. We all kind of raised our eyebrows after the Pacers laser thing after the game. Yes, And yes, so yes, all yes. of that stacking up started to feel a little bit different. And But in general, I guess I'm amazed at how quickly people went from, oh, the Grizzlies are young and great to, man, we're kind of fucking sick of these guys. And I think a mm. lot of it does go back to also the Dylan Brooks factor of this. Because I, Dylan... Okay. Do you not agree? Yes. Yeah, yeah I, but I, I do think that it's less of we're sick of these guys and more of like you can't trust these guys to really make a difference in the playoffs. Well, I think that's where really, I think where it lies. I, but it's weird we've put that expectation on them so quickly because they came and outperformed True. expectation. And when they started pushing war, the Golden State Warriors, we said, this is great for the NBA. This is great to have another team that's able to come up and do this. And how quickly it's become, I think largely due to Draymond Green, 
how quickly and Clay mm. Thompson reinforcing it here, but how quickly it's become, hey, your resume doesn't match up, so we don't want to hear from you now. Now you don't get to talk uh. because you haven't accomplished as much as us, even though we haven't been talking about you even in this realm close to that long. And I get it. They open their mouths, and I, I forget if it was Dylan Brooks or someone else who mentioned trying, you know, we're, we want to start and try and become a dynasty, and that got thrown back in their face quick. Like, they've got they're implicated in this. They've got things that I'm right. sure they've done and pushed a little bit too far along uh, along the way here. But I think it does go back to it feels like we've seen this before. And for Dylan Brooks especially, he feels like and I, he's a very good player, but he feels like store brand Draymond Green. Everything Mm. he represents Mm -hmm. as a player is what Draymond has done just without the accolades yet. Draymond Green, a future Hall of Famer, he read his resume down on the podcast when comparing the two the other day. But when you close your eyes and you hear people around Memphis describe what Dylan Brooks does for that team, I I saw Taylor Jenkins described him as spirited. They said he is the the mouthpiece of their team. He even says it's my job to go out there and embrace being physical and doing the dirty work so that our star players like John Morant and company can go out there and shine and do in their roles. And you open your eyes, and that could very easily be Draymond Green and what he's always meant to the Warriors. Yes, as much as people hate uh, JJ over there and the rest of that team, Dylan Brooks is like the Disney villain for the Memphis Grizzlies. Like he, he looks like it. He he looks like he smells like it. Well, he dre- he dresses like it too. He's now been getting universally yes. roasted for showing up to games in bubble vests and jean shorts. He dresses honestly kind of like me, which is not what you want an NBA player to dress like. He he dresses like you about Ten years ago, which yes, I agree, yeah. but it's 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 really bad when Dylan Brooks's attire is so offensive that like the likes of Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes like call out the fact that the NBA changed the dress code violation stuff once Allen Iverson came around. It's like Allen Iverson did this so y'all could come to games looking like that. This is some bull. Like just like old heads are going off. But that's the thing is, Dylan Brooks plays like a guy that old heads should appreciate, right? Mm, All we hear about is how the NBA is not as physical, and yet the minute we get a Marcus Smart or a Dylan Brooks, who it's different than having a big guy like we used to, where you go in the lane and get the shit beat out of you, and maybe there's part of people watching now that want to see the more beautiful, free-flowing game, and guys like that muck it up. But if you wanted someone to make it rough and tumble, maybe you can accuse them of not really being about the smoke, but at the very least, style of play-wise, you would think that sort of physicality would be something that old heads would reward. Yeah, and also like the the clear lack of paying attention to the internet because if like Dylan Brooks was online at all, he wouldn't say half the things he says, let alone dress like well, he's been dressing. It's not about him being online. It's about the way he's wired. He doesn't give a shit when anybody thinks he's there to be the instigator. Like in this whole mm. back and forth with him and Clay Thompson and company, I, I hate the idea of because you get a response you're all of a sudden living rent-free. Dylan Brooks said that the other day. I got a lot of real estate up in San Francisco referring to how often he gets referenced by those guys. And I hate that because it's what every... Dylan Brooks operates like a Twitter troll. 
That's what every troll yes. wants. The minute you get a response, you have now validated your existence. Steph Curry has the right idea where he just ignores him and he even goes out of his way to praise him at certain yes. junctures because the mm -hmm. thing that they want, guys like Dylan Brooks, is they want air. It's the fuel that goes along with the spark that lets them go and do this because their job, because they're not as skilled as you, is to get under your skin and get you off your game. And with Draymond Green, we've just got a guy who knows this playbook. So he runs the same plays at the same time and round and round we go. And then Draymond gets to do what we see Shaq do to Charles Barkley all the time on Inside the NBA. Is you might be a good player, but look at my resume. This unassailable Hall of Fame, once in a generation resume. You're not going to be able to stack up with this. And we know all everyone needs on the outside is especially in modern NBA culture, a little bit of rings plus minus as your argument to go ahead and cement the idea that some guy hasn't earned the right to talk the way that he does. I'm not saying Dylan Brooks isn't annoying. I'm just saying it's very weird how we pick and choose these things sometimes, who we allow to go out. Like He's the ultimate, you love him when he's on your team, but you hate him when he's on the other team if you're a player or a fan type guy. Is that fair? I, I imagine I, I need to talk to my Memphis Grizzlies uh, friends to see how they feel about Dylan Brooks, uh, Dylan Brooks to uh, their core. But Mike, I find it way more annoying the ring argument from the people with the rings, like Clay Thompson counting off four rings to to Dylan Brooks is less of a burn than Dylan Brooks hitting a three in Clay Thompson's face, who was a great defender at some point in his career and staring him down like he's not on like he's not on the 75 top 75 list which he's not on like i just it just that that seems poetic it, you know what you're right is it's a lack of creativity from the diss on the other side right yes yes like yes because exactly. you're not winning at the game right now we know we devalue the postseason. NBA players devalue the, or the excuse me, the regular season. NBA players right. devalue the regular season. But Dylan Brooks and the Grizzlies did win the last two games, and so to have your default be, well, you can't talk shit because I've already accomplished all these things. It's like, all right, what have you done for me lately? And the lately has been, you've been one of the worst teams on the road the entire season. If you're if you're the Golden State Warriors, and so they get to kind of talk their shit right now. Well, they also have been one of the outside of the resumes of the players on the team. The Warriors and the Grizzlies have been great at home and terrible on the road. So the whole going back and forth thing is so silly. But the reality is, the one of the reasons why the Memphis Grizzlies and their roster hasn't been as accomplished as the Golden State Warriors is they haven't been alive long enough. They haven't been in the NBA long enough. Like the majority of those players on the Warriors are over, not the majority, but the ones that we talk about are well over 30 and the Memphis Grizzlies oldest player is Steven Adams at 29. No, it's a great point. And I think that just underscores how surprised I am that we didn't get more mileage out of them being the mm. sort of lovable team coming up who is brash enough to push back and who does have an attitude to break through in an NBA where we constantly want to see more people who don't like each other. They play an important role. I think the original point is still right. The John Morant situation elevating to the level that it did changed the feel around all of this. When he was yeah. the superstar in the middle that was universally loved, that is a walking highlight reel and pogo stick, and made us... He was appointment television. He was one of the new guys that you wanted to tune in every time that he was on to watch him try and put someone on a poster, and now we're not all sure how to really proceed with Ja. 
Absolutely. And and he used to be one of the main people talking trash, too. Yes. And I thought that – and now, thinking about the situation that he's been off the court, you kind of don't even look at that as menacingly. And that, You know what I mean? You're like – you want to pat him on the back and say, okay, yeah, go get help. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Now it feels more serious, and so now the focus is away from here. So maybe I'll be proven wrong, and if we get these teams in a postseason setting where everyone's at full strength – and we've got some distance between what's happened here and John Morant's return, maybe it will. And maybe because we're just dealing with the kind of problems that we've had with anything and taking it seriously during the NBA's regular season, maybe this is a postseason fix where all of a sudden we're one seven-game series or play-in series away from these teams making us feel the same old feels about how they've gone about things so far. Um, Brandon. Hey, Dad. What do you do when you're out with friends, the waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help? Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge, you grab the bull by the horns, you find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision and just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Speaking of the same old feelings, uh, as the world turns in the NFL, everyone is still talking about Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers. Uh, water yes. is still wet. We get some you know, nice free agency news every once in a while. I think I saw Devin Singletary sign with the Houston Texans. Um, you've had some other, you know, smaller acquisitions. We talked about Brandon Cooks getting traded the other day. Good, solid moves, but not the ones that we're waiting for. We know how this works. No. The weird thing for me, looking at the Aaron Rodgers situation and what's popped up lately is the discourse after the Pat McAfee appearance was this yeah. notion of leverage that everybody's talking about. And yes. in a situation that we know, abnormal and complex. I feel like that's how we can label both Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers situations right now, even if we saw a version of this before with Brett Favre in Green Bay at the end. But Aaron Rodgers goes out and says, my intention is to play for the Jets. The Packers are the ones holding this up. I'm trying to get this done. We've seen the Jets start to operate as if Aaron's already their quarterback. They sign Alan Lazard. Whether or not Mm -hmm. he handed them a list or merely answered questions about players he likes, this organization seems to be conducting itself like Aaron Rodgers is going to be their quarterback. And so we get all this warring factions talking about who has more leverage in this situation, the Green Bay Packers or the New York Jets. I want to say first and foremost, I don't think it's a huge disparity one to the other, but someone's going to have to explain to me how the Jets would be the clear winner in this sort of leverage debate. 
Because I just is I it, don't understand from the position they're sitting in why they would now all of a sudden be the ones kicking their feet up on the table, getting to play this out at their speed. I don't understand it either, Mike, but is it as simple as they're the one that Aaron Rodgers wants to play football for? So, yeah, in theory, having a market with only one buyer, if you're the Green Bay Packers trying to offload Aaron Rodgers, and everyone automatically knowing, hey, you've only got one buyer, no doubt going to make it hard for you to get real a real bargain price, or excuse me, not a bargain price, get a real good price, get a real good haul coming back necessarily. But at the same time, the way I look at it, and again, maybe I'm the crazy one on this, but you've got the Jets on one side who have been bad for a long time, swung and missed on their top pick, and now are operating and have been talking publicly as if Aaron Rodgers is their quarterback. Aaron Rodgers has said it. Your fan base is bracing for it. Everyone's expecting and already talking about, is it Super Bowl or bust for the New York Jets once they get Aaron Rodgers? That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure on that team, on the players that we've seen on that team coming out and openly caping for Aaron Rodgers. It's been as butt naked and on front street as anything that we've ever seen. And so if we play this out and the Green Bay Packers were to play hardball, what's the worst thing that happens on both sides? If you're Green Bay, you end up maybe screwing yourself out of getting draft capital before the 2023 NFL draft. And, I mean, you play it really all the way out, and this were to all fall apart, and now all of a sudden Aaron Rodgers is still on your team, you're going to have to pay him a bunch of money. But what's really going to happen in that situation? How uncomfortable would Aaron Rodgers be able to make this for them? He's under contract, so he'd be getting fined if he wanted to sit and miss time, which maybe he's rich enough to do. And Mm -hmm. so maybe it complicates this idea of wanting to get a good look at Jordan Love, but would Aaron Rodgers, if asked to, not play? Would he go out there and purposely not do his best and subvert his own market if he truly does intend to play? Would he rage retire, which would get the Green Bay Packers out of most of these problems, but wouldn't get them capital in return? Which I get is tough, but if you're Green Bay, man, it already feels like you're kind of in a mode of resetting or trying to figure out, is Jordan Love yeah. going to be your third straight Hall of Fame quarterback? What is your offense mm. going to look like with a bunch of young receivers now that Alan Lazard is gone and there could still be other changes on the horizon? You're not in dire need of making stuff happen right now, at least in my mind, as opposed to the Jets who appear to have chips pushed to the center of the table. Yeah, but I feel like Aaron Rodgers is the whatever euphemism you want to use for the the chess pawn King, queen. Every chess piece. Rook. Why did you just name every chess piece? Which one is he? I don't, I don't know. I'm about to, I'm, I'm about to uh, illustrate how I don't know where he is, but I think the Packers are playing to are playing with the fact that Aaron Rodgers knows that he doesn't want to leave in any worse terms than he already has for the Packers. Like he talks about how much he loves the sandwich guy and the, the guy who cleans his shoes and everyone over there in Green Bay, I love Wisconsin. the blacksmith in town. I love my accountant. <laughs> I'm the, like, I, he's, he's, he's marketing himself as the greatest player to ever play for the Green Bay Packers, one of the most historic, storied franchises in NFL history. So I think they are playing to the fact that, like, okay, this guy is saying he wants out. Uh, talking about getting a chance to look at Jordan Love. He's been doing that for, or stopping the Packers from getting a chance to look at Jordan Love. He's been doing that for years since they drafted him, 
right? He's been doing it for three years, years, the exact amount of time Brett Favre stopped them from getting a look at Aaron Rodgers. I saw someone put up a graphic the other day. Jordan Love has actually attempted more passes in his first three years as a Packer than Aaron Rodgers did in the same situation under Brett Favre. And and Aaron Rodgers is probably like, look how charitable I am. Like I, I <laughs> am look I what not I've done merciful? for you. <laughs> He's like I even set out and made the guy play. Um, but I, I think uh, I, I just feel like they are playing to the fact of like Aaron Rodgers has a uh, a status amongst Green Bay Packers in the in the, in the NFL and. Let's not forget the fact that how you leave a place affects how you walk into another one. So uh, Aaron Rodgers is a big, as I said, chess piece in this whole thing that I feel like has more to do with a lot more than what we're hearing about. Yeah, but I guess at some point still it still boils down to, right, the Packers have him under contract. And we are a big player right show. I am all for player mobility for the most part here. And so I would like to, from that standpoint, see Aaron Rodgers get traded to that standpoint. Even though he has frustrated these fans, I'm sure to no end, he has helped this franchise see and be a part of a lot of success. Both individual success, team success, you can argue if one Super Bowl was underachieving. I understand that. But in general, Mm -hmm. you were in it every year Aaron Rodgers was healthy. That's something more than most NFL franchises can know. Green Bay is on the cusp of learning how the other half lives here if this doesn't go well with Jordan Love. And it's going to be a rude awakening because they haven't had that reality in a long, long time. And so Aaron Rodgers has done a lot for the franchise. He is all of those things potentially as an all-time player and the most tenured player in Packers history and all those different things. So I would, in theory, like to see him get all that. It's just this notion that, that, you know, That's because I like to see players get what they want, not because I believe the Jets have so much more ammunition in this. Because if this goes south in the Jets, I saw people saying could go and potentially try and trade for like a Kirk Cousins or Matthew Stafford. While those would still be better quarterbacks than anything the Jets have had on the roster in recent memory in my adult lifetime, is that going to play with your fan base or your locker room after everything that you had built up here and how you've operated this offseason with your, again, recency of complete misery of any a lack of any semblance of success along the way relative to what the Packers have dealt with it just seems like there's so much more desperation on that side and you've painted yourself into this reality that you've talked about so publicly now yeah but Mike it's like you and I it's like if I wanted to talk leverage with DraftKings I'm like but Mike Gullick Jr. here Gojo he really likes me Like, the Jets are working off the fact that Aaron Rodgers has already said that he intends on playing with the Jets. So the Jets are sitting there like, okay, Packers, what? Your your guy said he's coming here and he wants to play here. What y'all going to do? Like, I feel like there's there's a reality to who holds the cards and the cards being Aaron Rodgers. They do, and that's what I'm saying. Green Bay holds the – if Aaron Rodgers is the cards, Green Bay does hold him right now. And I get it. But it's it's the Jets that are holding him. I really don't think in a way that meaningfully affects this. I think ultimately this is going to end up being a pretty big non-story, and the Packers might get a little bit less than they've wanted because, again – they're in a bidding war with nobody else. It is the Jets or bust right now when it comes to this yeah. conversation. And so, again, that doesn't necessarily help the seller by not having multiple potential buyers out there. I get all that. 
but this idea that they've really got to get it done soon, life's going to be pretty weird and uncomfortable and different for Green Bay anyway. For the Jets, they have kind of gotten everything ramped up, it feels like, to this Super Bowl or bust mode that would be a tremendous letdown top to bottom if all of a sudden it wasn't done here in due time. I'm not saying Green Bay Packers would fully cut off their nose to spite their face. I just feel like the eventualities that we're talking about here would hurt Green Bay a lot less comparatively than they would the Jets. Yeah, and we talked about how the you know the Jets Mets over there. The Mets are clearly cursed, and this would be the most Jets things ever. It, like for a future Hall of Fame quarterback to say he wants to finish out his career with your franchise and still possibly do something great, and then at the end of the day, he just they just don't get him. If you had Aaron Rodgers in on the deal, this would be an awesome time if you were the Jets to pick up the phone and fake the funk with Lamar Jackson. Like if you Ooh. if you knew because Aaron like obviously if you did that and you were to say hey if you were to show the Green Bay Packers we've got other options and we'd be willing to go and give Lamar Jackson that fully guaranteed deal he's talked about and maybe that would all of a sudden get the Packers to be a little bit nervous if you were able to do that without wildly offending the player who is leaving his current franchise in no small part yeah. because the Packers decided to draft Jordan Love without really giving him the heads up. That's why this doesn't really work, but I would just love it because it would combine these two off-season stories into one in a way that would make it a lot easier for us to all talk about. So again, I think ultimately the amount of leverage is negligible from one side to the other, but I've just been amazed at how many people have popped up from the Jet side acting like there's no earthly business for the Packers to be talked about in that same portion of the conversation. Uh, that's a conversation we'll get to have a lot more of so, instead, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to have a very different conversation about the World Baseball Classic with our friend, Jared Carabas. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And now that the Boston Celtics have slayed the boogeyman in the Miami Heat, Boston fans, we feel a little bit more confident about the situation. You can decide right now, and if you're new to DraftKings, you can also check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, pumped to have Jared Carabas, co-host of Baseball is Dead, the tribal chief of baseball, joining us here, uh, fresh off having to defend the World Baseball Classic against what feels like half the internet. So how you holding up, man? It's Isn't it weird that it's, it's almost like I'm fighting two different battles because I'm fighting the, the pro World Baseball Classic battle against people that think baseball is boring. <clears throat> so I've got that crowd. Then I have the crowd, which is essentially just Mets fans, that are like, we love baseball, 
but we hate the World Baseball Classic because players are getting injured. And it's like, well, Edwin Diaz. Like, you're, you're mad about Edwin Diaz. That's really it. So I, I'm fighting two separate battles, but I feel like I'm winning them convincingly. Like, I don't, I don't think that anyone that has kind of stepped up on this has come forth with a decent argument for why. I mean, like, if you've got the players that are in the tournament, teammates of the players that have gotten hurt being like, uh, no, this tournament's awesome. Even the guys that have gotten hurt have been like, hey, don't blame World Baseball Classic. Like, this has been awesome. Like, they're rolling him off on, like, a wheelchair, and he's just like, thumbs up to the World Baseball Classic. So I, I, I get it. Like, if you're a Mets fan, that's almost like you're a different breed where, I mean, they, they've been a tortured fan base since 1986. They, they want to win their World Series. They finally got rid of the Will Ponds. They bring in Steve Cohen. He spends all this money, including the five-year, $102 million contract on Edwin Diaz. So they're excited that he's back, and now he's gone for the year. So I get that they're angry, but but I get, be mad at the universe. Don't be mad at the tournament. Like, it's not – don't be mad at the tournament. I guess that's the thing. Never has the Jon Snow Battle of the Bastards gift been more applicable than what you just described. That is you versus the warring factions of baseball. But like Jon Snow there, you're right. The bailout is the product itself. Like you mentioned it, the players love it. The scenes from this have been incredible. And so I guess looking at that, you're right. I think a lot of this ends up being conflated with just very loud Mets fans. Obviously, you and KFC going at it took up a lion's share of the internet space on that. In general, though, it, besides the injury, like first off, do you see that ever becoming a thing where I know some guys, it talked about some of the guys who weren't here between you know the insurance policies and different things their organization weren't here. Do you ever see a flashpoint like this where a guy as important as Edwin Diaz getting hurt in this setting does prevent more guys or does deter more guys from playing in this or no? I don't think so. I, I really don't think so. I think teams will try to fight it, but at the end of the day, uh, you're going to start to see players negotiate their privilege or their right to play in the tournament into their contracts. I've already heard of stuff like that. Uh, so I think, you know, I, I'm trying to think of an example. Um like a pre-arbitration guy that's supposed to be a stud, like Jacob DeGrom before he reached free agency. Maybe the Mets could be like, you can't go. But these guys that reach free agency and they start signing these free agent deals, they, they've kind of earned their right to be like, no, no, no. In my contract, it states I can go play in the World Baseball Classic if I want to. Um, I, I think position players, like, you know, there's been there's been guys that are in this tournament, position players, that are saying, where are all the stud pitchers? And I know that Edwin Diaz got hurt, but guys are in the tournament being like, you've got you've got pitchers throwing 98 in spring training. Come throw that over here. Like, do you really think like I, I get the argument of, well, the, you don't want to ramp up too quick. You don't want to have sure. these guys that are throwing super competitive, like throwing these uh, high leverage innings in spring training. And like, that's how you get hurt. They're in spring training throwing 98 miles an hour. Like, I, I mean, how much harder can, if you could throw 98 in spring, then come do that over here. Like, because if you're trying to say, like, oh, yeah, 98 to my spring training velocity by, you know, by May, I'll be pumping 102. That's fine. You know, save your 102 for May and, and we'll take the 98 for now. So I, I just, I think, I think what happened 2017 was the turning point for the World Baseball Classic where. Team USA won. Adam Jones had that crazy catch. They yeah. went on an awesome run. And I think specifically Mike Trout, you saw guys that are superstar talents being like, 
Next time this comes around, I'm doing it. And Bryce Harper is another guy. He committed to it, but he had the surgery. So we would have had Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, like all these guys uh, commit to Team USA. And I think that was because of 2017. They saw how fun it was. And then this time around, now you're, you're building momentum every single year. The Trey Turner Grand Slam, I, I threw that tweet out the other day about how the Trey Turner Grand Slam did more Twitter video numbers than any other major thing that happened in Major League Baseball last year. It did more numbers than Judges Home Run, Pujols 700, um, the final out of the World Series. Like all these big things that happened in baseball last year and Trey Turner's Grand Slam in the World Baseball Classic blew them out of the water. Like we're talking like two and a half million to north of seven million views in, uh, it was like 15 hours. Like it wasn't even 24 hours when I, when I, when I ranked those numbers. So I think what you're going to start to see is every four years, because originally it was three, now it's four. Every four years, you're going to start to see guys that maybe were hesitant to go before be like, you know what? I'm I'm going to do this. And, and even Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge was like, you know, I just signed this $390 million contract to be the Yankees captain. It would be kind of a bad look if I was like, hey, thanks for making me captain. I'm leaving <laughs> Yankees for, for training camp. But four years from now, when, when you know he still hasn't won a title with the Yankees, I think he'll be like, you know what? This whole World Series thing isn't working out. Maybe I can shift my focus to winning a WBC championship. So I, I do think that we'll continue to see more stars, not less. So timing of this being in spring training, the thought and the idea of some people have broached of maybe moving it to a different time of year, you don't think that would be necessary to get more guys on board? I don't think it'll be necessary, and I also don't think that it's conducive to the best competition. Uh, and I, I know that what the counter is people being like, Oh, well, if all the players are saying how much it matters to them, why can't they play it in November? Then they won't come back in November. They won't play it in December. I just think that it's a lot of baseball is a long season, 162 games in March. You're playing spring training games. Anyway, you might as well go compete for your country in November. You're, you're tacking on an extra month. And the point that I made was now you've had MLB expansion in the playoffs. So now you've got six teams from both leagues making the playoffs. So now you've got more teams playing October baseball. Which t- like What players are in the postseason? The best ones. Because those are the players that are on good teams and then make it to the playoffs. So if you want the stars, if you want the best players playing in the World Baseball Classic, you're now asking them to play in spring, tra- in spring training in March, regular season from April through September, and then the playoffs... Some, now they, they're into, into November. So you're going to play eight months of baseball and then tack on another one? After, I mean, the best players, if they're playing in the postseason, they're playing balls-to-the-wall baseball in the month of October and into November. Then you're going to ask them to compete for a World Baseball Classic championship after that? No. It, it's, it's you, if, if it's state, like, because the other thing, too, you don't want to compete with the NFL, right? Sure. Like, yeah. football's king. If you put the World Baseball Classic on in November, now you're competing with the NFL. No, thank you. Like, I, I as much as I love baseball, I know my place. Like, I, I'm not trying to compete with the NFL. March is perfect. You've got you've got March Madness. That's fine. Uh, I, I think that I've seen way more on the Twitter trending charts. You saw World Baseball Classic more than you saw March Madness. So I, I you know, March Madness is great for for sports betting, but unless you went to the school. I don't see a ton of like diehard like Team X fans within college basketball. People tune in in March because it's a great sports betting event. But the World Baseball Classic, in terms of entertainment value, you can't beat it. It's it's almost like a, I don't know if you're a wrestling fan. I'm a I'm a huge wrestling nerd. But at WrestleMania, they will have 
the big main event goes on last, but all the wrestlers will tell you, you don't want to go on second to last. If you're not, if you're not the last match, you want to be first. And it's almost like if the baseball season is WrestleMania, you've got the World Series is the main event, but the first match is the World Baseball Classic. And then you kind of got like the mid-card in between like the regular season. There can still be some guys that steal the show and all that. But if, you, if you're not last, you want to be first. So I, I love the World Baseball Classic in March. I think it's perfect, and I wouldn't change a thing about it. The reverse Ricky Bobby. I respect the approach there, and I, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. It's the right timing to roll that out. So... Now that all the kind of logistic stuff's out of the way, why do the Team USA players especially seem like they're having more fun doing this? I think, um, first of all, you have to understand. You look over in your dugout, and it's like, that's Mike Trout. And you look over here, and you're like, that's Mookie Betts and Nolan Arenado. Paul Goldschmidt, like oh, I know. mean the video of all those guys. Then to like further that point, watching Ken Griffey Jr. take batting practice mm-hmm. was one of the coolest things. Like these guys were all twelve years old again, watching that smooth stroke out there. So you are right; it does. I'm I'm sure that is kind of an infectious feeling, right? Yeah, I I had the tweet the other night when Daniel Bard was melting down, and Brett Anderson, who you know he pay, he pitched for the Brewers, he pitched for the A's, um he disagreed with my take, but he's wrong because he's not in my brain. This is, this is a personal <laughs> opinion. Like this is how I would personally feel. Daniel Bard is melting down in the, whatever inning it was. And USA calls timeout. And who's the pitching coach? It's Andy Pettit. Like I'm melting down and I got Andy Pettit's walking out to the mound to, to, to talk me up right now. I'd be like, Holy shit. Like this, this is pretty cool. So yeah, I think that guys are excited to kind of look around at arguably one of the greatest collections of talent in baseball history playing on the same team. Uh, and I think when you talk about a guy like Nolan Arenado, so I don't think he would mind me saying this, but during the pandemic, I was talking to him throughout the pandemic and he was still training like game seven of the world series was the next day. And at that time we didn't know if baseball was coming back at all. Like there was no date where it was like, Hey, we're coming back on this date and you've got, you know, four weeks to prepare. He had no idea if the season was going to even resume. And he just like, that's, that's who he is. Like that's his compete level. And now he's on team USA and, uh, you know, he eats this fastball in the hand last night, gets taken out of the game. And I was like, Hey, you good buddy. And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good. I'm fine. Nothing. Like I'd go back out there if I could, if we, if it was like a little league, when you can just like sub back into the same game you just came out of, he would have done it. Um, so I think that they are passionate. They have pride in both country and themselves. And I think that they resent, I mean, they were, it's, I'm not going to say that there's some big underdog because, you know, I, I believe that they were second best odds behind Dominican who, who yeah. didn't make it very far. Uh, they were one of the heavy favorites to win the whole thing. But the narrative around that team was that, you know, they don't have the pitching to get it done. Like the, the st- and that's not any fault of their own. The starters didn't want to go. I think out of the top 20 starters in baseball from last year, it was either one or zero went which is crazy to wow. me. And and I've talked to some pitchers, American pitchers, they were like, I, I would have gone, but they didn't ask. Uh, so there's got to be some sort of... And, and Adam Wainwright tweeted at me because I had the tweet about, you know, Shohei Otani's out there. 
He's got a $500 million contract on the line. If he gets hurt this year, or if he gets hurt in this tournament, um, that's a lot of money to, to wager on meaningless baseball, as they're calling it. And Wainwright was like, there's, there's a lot of teams that are telling their guys they can't go, like pitchers. Mm-hmm. So that's what that comes back to like the original point of we need to get to a point where if guys want to go, let them go. Like, why not? Like, don't let the Edwin Diaz. They dude, dude could have suffered the exact same injury doing jumping jacks in the yeah. gym, doing jump rope in the gym. That is how he sustained his injury. It had nothing to do with ramping up and playing competitive baseball in March. I, I thought that was the best point about all of this is none of that was baseball specific. None of that was specific to the game that had actually gone on there. And it, I, I don't know. It, it was weird that that was the powder keg that sort of started all of this and the warring factions that led up to it. But everything else around it, I, I think especially from the U.S. players we talked about you know everything you just mentioned, why these guys are jacked up, but it even seems like they're acting a little bit different. Like I was reading, especially the Venezuela game, where they felt like they were essentially the road team going into that matchup, and you've got this big moment there that some of those old guard thoughts about baseball in the major leagues where guys are a little bit more reserved in the way that they do their business compared to the reactions we saw where we got Mike Bleep and Trout leading the charge out of the dugout like he's getting ready to storm the beach. Is that something you think might have some carryover into major league baseball? Is that something that these guys you think might bring back to the sport that we see during the regular season and beyond? I... So I had this take before a single World Baseball Classic game was even played this year. I, episode one, the week before the first game, I said, pay attention to Mike Trout. Mm. I was like, this dude is teammates with Shohei Otani, who might leave in free agency at the end of the year. And he, yes, he's been to the playoffs, but it was like 15 plate appearances. It was like a one and done, and he did nothing notable. The team did nothing notable. I was like, Mike Trout is going to get his first taste of like electric, high compete level baseball. And I think we're going to see a Mike Trout that we've never seen before because everyone calls him boring. He's not marketable. You know, uh, he can walk down the street in New York City and no one would know who he was. Like, that's like the litmus test for fame and and marketability. Um, But now. I, I was saying like he, he this tournament has essentially scratched the itch that I've been trying to scratch for over 10 years now. Like I love Mike Chow, but I will say he's been boring. But at what point when you're the best player on planet Earth, but you're never making the playoffs and you're not playing in any big games, like how exciting can you be? Like surely, you know, you can have your exciting moments like shit happens. But with with Mike Trout specifically, we're talking about potentially not even potentially, let's just say a top three baseball player of all time, of all time. Some will even say he's number one. I'm not quite there. Barry, Barry's still my number one, but top three baseball player of all time. And we don't get to see him on the big stage. So if you're a baseball fan right now, you're seeing something from a guy that's been in the league for over a decade that we've never seen from him before. Like he's getting fired up. He is celebrating when uh, when his teammates are having having big moments. He's one of the first guys out of the dugout screaming and 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 you know giving him a high five and a hug and all that. It's been liberating for me as a baseball fan to see big moment Mike. Like I love it. I absolutely love it. And I've been waiting so long to see it. I knew it was in there somewhere, but it's like I just never had any faith in the Angels to be able to put together a team that was going to 
surround him with you know the opportunity to to play in games like this. So that's why I get so defensive with all the the fans that are like, bro, like World Series and blah blah. Like this isn't these are still exhibition games and it's meaningless. Tell that to Mike Trout. Like, <laughs> tell that to Mike Trout and how excited he is to be playing in these games that these games are meaningless. It's it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so I do think that uh, it's I don't know necessarily that there'll be carryover. I think guys are who they are, mm-hmm. um, but it, it's almost like we we've just been granted the opportunity to see a Mike Trout like a Mike Trout was unlocked this month yeah. <laughs> that we just didn't have the opportunity to unlock prior to all of this. Uh, so if the Angels ever made it to the World Series, yeah, sure, maybe we would see that again. But I, I just I don't see that happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the fact that like a guy like Trey Turner is saying uh, that was louder than any... like Dude's played in the World Series before. That was louder. Randy Rosarena playing for, for Team Mexico. That catch the other night. Yeah, that was bigger than any World Series home run that I've ever hit before. So that's that's why... It blows my mind that there are still either non-baseball fans or baseball fans themselves that are trying to say these games are meaningless, they're just exhibition games, and who cares about the World Baseball Classic? The guys in it are telling you how special and how important it is to them. You're just I, the, the WBC deniers. I, I, I just can't level with them. Yeah, it doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. And I would say, like, on the other side, since the rest of the outside world loves to, I mean, hell, it's the freaking open to your guys' podcast. The rest of the outside world loves to shovel dirt on baseball, loves to try and decree, you know, what's about to happen with the sport. This seems like the exact kind of thing because you can wrap it in national pride, because we've seen clearly the rest of the world is so in on this, and because we're getting a different side of a lot of these players. It seems like the perfect gateway drug for people that might be more casual fans of baseball or maybe hadn't tuned in as much before. It seems like in so many ways the perfect antidote to going to battle with the other group that you mentioned going to war with. The baseball is boring people because every step along the way, this has been anything but. So to to that point, I'll see if I can pull it up right now. Uh, I think the World Baseball Classic has gotten the attention of fans that were that used to be big baseball fans that maybe lost it in their adult years and they're kind of like during the pandemic when everyone was bored and they went into their attics and then they found their baseball cards and then there was a boom in the baseball card industry because everyone's like you know what i remember that i really love collecting baseball cards i think this world baseball classic is having that sort of effect on uh, middle-aged dudes that used to love baseball in their younger years and then they just you know they get married they have families they have other priorities like baseball is a commitment like yeah. I, I am I'm single as single as can be because of my job because I cover Major League <laughs> Baseball and it is a nightly event uh, it is a commitment to be a diehard baseball fan I get that um, but I just I got this uh, text from one of my buddies that I grew up with he said, let me just say, the WBC is kind of working on me similar to how the World Cup got me into soccer. I've been sort of off of baseball for five to 10 years, but watching this is electric. It's better than the MLB. Maybe playoff baseball is comparable, but seeing these guys rooting for their teammates, it's like the Little League World Series. It's amazing. This is a dude that like I, in high school, we went to a million Red Sox games together. And then once we probably, I mean, he's, he's married now. Uh, I haven't been to Fenway with him in probably 10 years. So like his oh. timeline is, 
perfectly lining up of when he fell out of base. Like we played baseball together and we would like, you know, always talk about the Red Sox. Um, so that's kind of the, the hope for me is that it's, I don't think that it's going to take the baseball is boring crowd and turn them into baseball fans. But my hope is it's going to take the people that fell out of love with baseball and, and have them fall back into love with baseball. It'd be cool to see, man. It's been fun to watch. Been a great run up to this. And obviously Tuesday night, going to get an awesome finish to this thing. See if Team USA can push it over the pile. So enjoy it, man. I know it's been a ton of fun for you. We appreciate you giving us some time and uh, all the insight on this. Thank you very much. Go USA. And uh, we'll see you on the next time. All right, Brandon, before we close this thing out, it's time to give an update on the first round of our Some Shining Moments March Madness bracket. For anyone that's new here, every podcast is somebody's first. We took and ranked the top 32 moments from the last calendar year. Big moments, some controversial, some joyous, some awards-based, but they came from sports, pop culture, movies, television, and otherwise. We ranked them seeded them one through 32 in four different regions and are playing them out to try and figure out the top moment from the last year, March to March. We have already done the food, the uh, sports and music regions. We now yesterday, Brandon did the music or the, excuse me, the film and television region. And so before we get on to our final region uh, today, I want to give the results of that one. We put the polls up yesterday. This is our first region where all chalk prevailed. We had the 1-8 matchup of the slap at the Oscars, Will Smith and Chris Rock. 89.9% of the vote against the Kanye West Ooh. year of controversy. Mercifully ending that thing's place in the tournament here. Thank God. Uh, Top Gun Maverick beat the ever-loving hell out of Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck getting back together. The 2-7 matchup there. Top Gun Maverick, 81.6% of the vote there. Um the three-seed running up that hill, the Kate Bush uh, song that appeared in Stranger Things and charted again for the first time in like two-plus de two decades, narrowly edged out, 51.1%, The Last of Us, episode, episode three, the Frank and Bill episode. Um, and the last one, uh, no surprise, we talked about this a lot, the 4-5 yeah. matchup. Don't worry, darling, movie drama, 65.9% of the vote against Cheryl Lee Ralph's Emmy acceptance speech, which was great, but not nearly as juicy. So, Brandon, no real surprises there in this side of the region. This is the first one where we apparently seeded it the right way and chalk prevailed. Yeah, Mike, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little worried that, and maybe it's just because people are, you know, sports fans, and that's why they're following the show. A lot more people voted for the, the sports categories than they voted for <laughs> entertainment and tv like well let's say 1500 more in each vote and i'm just maybe it's a monday thing too though so well i, I just want to put that out there. i think there's a lot of things that we could uh hone into that on but we're not here to yeah. prognosticate brandon we're just here to read the results and so now we're True. here to present you with the final day of voting for the first round this is the west region which is basically the internet more or less. Mm. This was sort of the catch-all for anything that we couldn't appropriately praise and other could be an appropriate title for it. The matchups are as follows. We got the one-seed matchup, Brandon. Elon Musk buying Twitter and all of the bugs and random porn bots that have ensued since then. <laughs> Going up against the eight-seed, Cocaine Bear. Uh, our Ooh. dear, dear friend O'Shea Jackson Jr., friend of the podcast and one of the co-stars of that movie. Uh, that one's a real favorite of the heart here, Brandon, even if I think it may mm -hmm. ultimately lose. I think it's got a chance, as we've seen with some of the other eight seeds. 
I, I really... No, but I love I love that you I lo- I love that you love the movie so much that you think it could beat Elon buying Twitter. It was it really was a moment, man. Uh, the two seed uh, is the Chat GPT general AI revolution that we've seen going on this year and infiltrating so much of life. Going up against the seven seed, Adam Levine's DMs, which another very juicy, salacious headline that might get some of that "Don't worry, darling" bump in the voting. I listen, Adam Levine. I thought he could. I thought he was done making news uh, after The Voice, but the way he came back, Mike, into 2022, 2023, with a bang in the. I mean, it's just naming the child after an ex. It was so nasty. It's just something only a rock star would do. Like makes it makes uh, she will be loved hit a little differently. It makes a lot of those songs hit a little bit differently when you start going back through the Maroon Five catalog. So that one's gonna have some legs. The three seed uh, matchup. Pete Davidson's dating roster and really last calendar year in general, his friendship with Eli Manning in addition to dating Kim Kardashian. Uh, going up against the six seed, Harry and Meghan keep telling all for everyone that loves the Royals and all the drama surrounding mm. them. That's for y'all. I don't really get down with that business, so have at it. And speaking of the Royals, Brandon, we rounded out the 4-5 matchup, the loss of Queen Elizabeth versus Selena and Haley Bieber. And remember, these are the biggest moments. We're not saying the loss of Queen Elizabeth was a good thing, but as was pointed out with Charlotte Wilder and Jess Matana who came on here, that's the queen of a thousand years that was lost. It was a monumental moment in world history. Of course, Mike, but for the fifth seed, what happened with Selena and Haley? Uh, there's a whole like weird like love triangle thing. There used to be a thing with Selena and Justin, and now there's a lot of people that think really? that Haley. Yeah, it's that's another one that kind of like the Royals thing. I know enough of to know it was important, and we sourced this information and some seeds from a lot of the people that worked around at DraftKings. But I have not kept all the way up to date on this drama. I just know Selena's been out there a little bit more. Maybe is she thirst trapping Justin? I don't know. That's me, me adding stuff to the narrative. Sorry. <laughs> at Gojo Show on Twitter is where all of those will pop up. You'll get to vote tomorrow, and then we'll get to the Sweet 16 of this tournament and keep it moving as we go into the second weekend of the NCAA tournaments in real life. But, Brandon, now it's time to ask the important question here. Finish this thing off right. Do you know what time it is? I do, Mike, and it will make sense after this, that, and the third. But before that, can't promise you anything. Huh. <laughs> yeah, y'all know what it is. <sighs> Big boss. Five minutes to the music. This is how we do it. All night. Breezing down the freeway. Just me and my baby. In our eye, just me and my boss, no worries at all. Listening to this, that, and the third, Would have come back for you. I just needed time to do what I had to do. Caught in the line, I never know whether that's right. This, that, and the third. But here goes nothing. Uh. 
Oh, uh, R&B Brandon back in the building. I wasn't sure what part of that song you were going to attack, but I should have guessed that it would be the part that would allow you to sing Drake. <laughs> I should have known. Terribly, too. Uh, yeah, yeah, you definitely should have known. Like, uh, let's pick a, a Rick Ross song that doesn't have any rapping in it. Yep, we're going to either find a reason to insert Drake into the conversation or remind someone who's from Louisville. If you enjoyed that, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. Leave us a five-star rating and tell Brandon what a great job he did. Mike, I have to tell you, I think you need to start reading some of the reviews again to get people excited about leaving them. Because I think there's a little bit of the looking at yourself in the mirror that, that people were chasing at the beginning of the thing. Because, you know, there's been some comments. I just, you know, want to put that bug in your ear. Well, I mean, we can go to this one from Z Holter that came in titled Hibachi. Said, I love Senior right on with no veggies in the Masters dinner that we talked about in honor of Scotty Scheffler. Where I go for Hibachi, they have the same price for double rice and no veggies. Just ask when you order. And P.S., mm-hmm. when are we getting Mama Golick as a guest? The mom episode gets a lot of people asking about it when we are going to have Selena and my mom on the show. Mike, uh, Mother's Day. Actually, Mother's Day in U.K. was last Sunday, but real Mother's Day for us in America. Coming up in May. Might, mm. might be the opportunity for that one. Might mm. be. Um, Faultron98 says, you need to Venmo me $7. It's your effing fault that I now have Apple TV Plus <laughs> subscription. After listening to the Bill Lawrence interview, I decided to check out the first episode of Shrinking, which means I now need $7 from you. Gotta run. Headed to Chili's where I'll be working on my DraftKings NCAA bets before heading to Crumble Cookies. Love the show and enjoy listening daily, following the evolution, and hope that this will help the pod move up the rankings in the algorithm. That person, I know this is stealing the line from the Levitard show. That person gets the show in every sense of the word. Uh, yeah. They're proving it too. So they are. Congrats. So again, yeah. if you leave a nice review or comment on the YouTube, we're always watching and looking because at this point yes. we're slinging it out the trunk for y'all. Uh, yes. Brandon, speaking of someone who was on the internet making waves, let's get to this, this, that, and the third three stories to end the day. Nick Saban causing a little stir in Ooh. Alabama world. Uh, he came out Monday to announce that Alabama freshman defensive back Tony Mitchell was suspended following a recent arrest in Florida for drunk possession. He was arrested on charges of possession of marijuana with the intent to sell or deliver per the post uh, from the police department, which includes pictures of a big old bag of marijuana, some cash, scales, and guns. So it does not look good for that young man uh, necessarily. But... That is, uh, in this case, you know, we hope that that young man gets things figured out and that, you know, the legal process, all that stuff, all the important serious words. That's really not what we're here to talk about. What we're here to talk about is what Nick Saban said at the podium when asked about this. He said that Tony Mm. Mitchell was suspended from the team until Alabama gathers more information about the situation and said, quote, everybody's got an opportunity to make right choices and decisions. There's no such thing as being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Those seem like very carefully chosen words, considering last time on Dragon Ball Z, about a month ago, when we had everything Mm. go down with Brandon Miller, the Alabama star basketball player, who was talked about as someone who potentially brought or allegedly brought a murder weapon to the scene of a crime for a teammate who, and you never handle it, all the things that we know about that situation. Brandon Miller allegedly never actually touched the gun, was not charged with any sort of crime, but in the initial response from that, Nate Oates, when asked about it after a game, said 
something to the effect of he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and was taken to task for that largely by the media and everyone else for how poorly him and Alabama handled that in the initial stanza. And it's hard not to read this as Nick Saban coming forward and choosing these words carefully in a situation that also involves serious off-the-field matters, making a bit of a point about how he feels about the way this was handled. Absolutely, Mike. And if you've never... If you've never been a part of a college football program or staff, it's not all kumbaya when it comes to program to program, especially not the big ones that bring in all the dollars. So Shit, we just saw this of, in a different way at Kentucky this last offseason. Oh, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Mark Stoops and, and John Calipari. So I think, yes, this is deliberate. Nick Saban doesn't say things on accident. Um, I don't even know if he prepares. He's just that good. But the the message was received for everyone who was paying attention. There is no such thing as being at the wrong place at the right time. But does that mean that Nick Saban is going to jeopardize winning to punish this player to the fullest end of the quote-unquote football law? We'll we'll wait to see. It's it's a point that a lot of people have pointed out. This player is a freshman, four-star, very talented, but we know at Alabama – probably not going to be what make or breaks that team. And so I'm not going to give anyone a true moral high ground here other than to say the way Alabama's coach and basketball and administration handled that was messy and unprofessional. The way that they went about it was not what they needed to do given the, the severity of the situation. And I think that's the larger point that shines through with Nick Saban is you made us look bad in public. And that's mm. not okay yes. around here. Now, I will say right. I would pay pay-per-view prices for if Nate Oates and Alabama go on and win this NCAA tournament amidst all of this, and if Alabama Ooh. loses two games next fall, I would pay pay-per-view prices to hear Ooh. the fine bomb callers the Monday after that second clause. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I don't want to get in other people's business too much, but I would pay pay-per-view prices to hear those particular callers on that particular show after that particular situation came to light. So we'll wait and see if any more comes. We'll see if anyone's got the yeah. balls to ask Nick Saban if this is actually what he was talking about here or if we're all just looking for trouble and stirring up shit. Uh, Brandon, yeah. let's get to that. Uh, speaking of college sports whittled down to their most purest distilled form, Looks like Rick Pitino is going to be back uh, closer and closer to the big time. Rick Pitino, it was announced, signed a six-year deal to become the next head basketball coach at St. John's in New York. Rick Pitino, obviously, New York native, former very successful head coach at Kentucky and Louisville. Brandon, God, we have just hit the bingo card with you today. Woo, woo, woo. We got a story about Rajon Rondo? What's up? Jesus Christ on ice. (laughs) Um, Rick Pitino, the reason I say this is pure college sports is Rick Pitino is someone who is draped in scandal and has at multiple junctures proven he's not probably not the person that you want of as a leader of young people on a college campus, but he wins and he gets teams to the tournament and he's got, I want to read this right. Rick Pitino. He's been to seven final fours with three different programs has Rick Pitino, Damn. and he also has two national titles, one at Kentucky and then one at Louisville in 2013. That was vacated because of the scandal surround after an FBI pro, uh, investigation into the school. 
Uh, there were the allegations that a staffer on campus was facilitating escorts for players on the team that Patino denied any sort of knowledge of, even though we know college coaches know everything that are going on in their campuses. Uh, yep. Allegedly, if we have to say that to get ourselves out of any trouble here. Uh, right. And so all of these things, because like, man, I don't care if Rick Patino was part of an operation that paid a player $100,000 going under the table from a sneaker company. As we've seen, that's kind of chump date change now compared to what a lot of these guys yeah. are getting in the NIO world. Paying players is not the issue. It is the you know impropriety that occurred in other places that draws back to this idea that in college sports, it doesn't matter how bad the thing you do is as long as you can get people to win games in the money sports. Absolutely, Mike. Uh, perfect example. If you're from Louisville, you know this, but as ass backwards as uh, toxic masculinity can be, Louisville fans have like um, idolized Rick Pitino for spots that he takes dates out onto or used to back in the day. Like, like for all the things that he's in scandal and the reason he has been in Iona and is now settling back in in New York and St. John's, like, that's all the reasons why the, all these basketball fans think that, like, he was the best because he won on and off the court. It's just all very nasty, toxic stuff, but he wins games, so he's always going to have a job doing it at the highest level. Yeah, that's exactly right, and it's the reality that we've known about college sports that we just get reminded of time and time again when these things come up. Uh, Brandon, let's get to the third and end this day on, I don't know if this, I guess this is a happier story, or at least like a very interesting one. It's fun. Rick Ross's neighbor worries about the safety of her children after the rapper's buffaloes roam her property. Uh, according to a report filed the TMZ, apparently Rick Ross's neighbor, who is located behind him, found his two 2,000-pound buffaloes roaming on her property. She obtained images of the buffaloes as they grazed there. Uh, she said you know, she got into a verbal dispute with one of the members of Rick Ross's team and is now getting ready to, I believe, file a civil dispute. Um, she called the police. They said the problem was a civil dispute and a report was not filed in that case. Brandon, I'd just say this. Rick Ross is well known for his complex in Georgia. It's a massive ranch space. He's got other animals on the property, including I think bulls and a couple of cows. He's got four yeah. horses, a steer named Thor. One of the buffaloes is named Timbuktu. So he's got a whole thing there. He's a guy who famously... You were telling me about this before. Moses' own lawn on that property and actually writes a fair amount of his music while high as a kite riding a riding lawnmower around his property. So there's a lot happening in this story. With his friends, Mike, there seems to be a community over there at the, at the Ross Manor. And, and I'm all for it, especially as a guy who loves uh, Wingstop and everything that he's done uh, with that company, uh, bringing it to the hip-hop and rap lyrics and lemon pepper this and lemon pepper that. The fact that he has buffaloes, Mike, one of the few Native American animals that are just majestic and beautiful. Like, I've always joked about when we were in South Bend, it's like, what if these squirrels were monkeys? You know, what if we're in South Africa or South America and these squirrels were monkeys? The life would be completely different. We don't have monkeys. We have buffalo. And Rick Ross has some. And they should be thankful that Timbuktu went over there and grazed over there and outside of his promised land onto their estate. 
Yeah, the promised land is the name of Rick Ross's property. I would say this because Rick Ross went on his Instagram story and I think basically said, just feed them carrots or apples. They're gentle animals. They're herbivores, not carnivores. I have seen enough videos of people getting their asses rocked by buffalo and bison over a Yellowstone. I'm going nowhere near that thing. I have a value on my own life and it's a lot higher than feeding some animal an apple to get him off my property. Listen, uh, everyone at Colorado, Deion Sanders can probably attest to this. We've talked about Buffalo Zoomies on this podcast. If that thing was moving, oh, heading to my heading my way, okay. Not that I have any weapons on my property, but they would have had to drag that buffalo up up off my property. Like that's that's some scary stuff there. You're not going to take down a buffalo. You've got you've got I know you've got nothing I, on I, your I played, property that has the the stopping power to take down a buffalo. And I don't know if don't, the, the last Mike, thing you probably want are the problems that come with shooting Rick Ross's buffalo. Or just shooting a buffalo in general. They're majestic creatures. And it's not the buffalo's fault. The buffalo's been here long before we were here. So really, you're on its property. Shout out to Spencer Hall. You know what this is? That's a great take, by the way. Native Americans, truly. Um, uh, You know what the the problem is, Mike? I'm going to blame video games. Like back in the day when Grand Theft Auto, I played too much uh, Oregon Trail in my day. Yeah. And I just thought maybe just, you know, that's just me. A lot of buffalo meat. You know. And then you can't ford the river. And then now all of a sudden half your family's dead. And that's before the dysentery (laughs) sets in and gets real bad. Um, I do love like the notion of a rapper just having a gigantic piece of property with a bunch of animals. Rick Ross is so unique in the space. Watching his Instagram story, I saw him also talking about wanting to invent his own form of martial arts and asking his followers if they thought he would get married one day. It's He is very online for a person of his level of fame. But Brandon, I only have one interaction with Rick Ross ever. And it was at the University Ooh. of Nebraska. So I went to wait, the, wait, wait, why was so Nebraska's in a, was an Adidas school at the time. I believe still are. Rick Ross is an Adidas athlete, and so for the Midnight Madness okay. for their basketball team, they okay. brought Rick Ross in to do a concert at Nebraska. I was there bef- uh, to do a digital show before college game day for the Ohio State Nebraska game, where they got their asses whooped. But mm. got to go over to that Midnight Madness deal. Was hanging out there. Actually had to with Maria Taylor filibuster time at a Nebraska pep rally because Rick Ross was late coming in for the concert hours late. And when he showed up, got to interview him briefly for some of the digital stuff that I was doing. Really nice guy went immediately out on stage and tore that thing down. He was great, but because he was so late, he was quick in and out. And when he left, he left. And what we found as I was hanging out with some of the Adidas reps that were there was that Rick Ross, when he comes in on his rider, has an entire room stocked with his lemon pepper wings from Ringstop and all of the Rick Rick Ross champagne. And there was a room of it untouched by any of his crew. And so I got drunk and full off of Rick Ross's rosé and wings, and I greatly appreciate him for it. Wow. What a come up. God give it. Man, those wings, too. They knew what they were doing. Hey. Wingspot, if you ever want a sponsor the podcast, man, we're out here. We're ready. I have sampled a ton of the product. Hey, if if you if we want to pivot from wings because of a shortage, we'll go thighs. If you want to pivot from that, we'll go we'll go to sandwiches because I've had some of those too. I can speak to the. Uh, the let's talk about the Cajun pet. Like Ooh. they have little corn pieces that instead of fries that are great, their celery in their corn or not corn, their celery in their carrots. Are to die for without because of the ranch. Oh, the ranch so expensive, but really worth it. I can't imagine going to Wingstop and eating celery and carrots. 
If you somehow can, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review, leave us a five-star rating, and check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Boom. Money in the bank. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.